0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Six
1: seconds to go. Comes in to Tucker. Ewing sets a screen.
0: The shot is off. Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket comes. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Stricken Roll. This is episode 13. I'm your host, Shwini Poo. I am joined by a friend of the pod but hasn't been on the pod in a long time. His name is Simon Sharon Gordon. That's at Simon Seago on Twitter. He works for the NBA, doing providing social media content for them. Simon, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. I mean, I, I'm not going on like Twitter that much these days outside of work and like I'm starting to just like every time I go on like want to go on even less like today I go on to I'm like I'm I was honestly only on there today like to communicate with you and set up like when we were going to record and but I see like trending it's like please respect Mia Khalifa's rebrand
0: yeah I I saw that and I just decided (laughs) like I was not going to figure out I was like, you know what? I'm not going to trying to I'm not going to bother trying to figure out what this is actually about.
1: There's like so many layers to like what am I even looking at? Like I forgot she existed. I don't know what her rebrand is. I don't know who knows enough to even disrespect. It. I yeah, it's just like I, I this is why I try to like stay off of Twitter these days.
0: Yeah, well, you know, uh It is what it is. It's a (laughs) a website. Uh, But before we get started, I do have to make an announcement. The Strickland has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. There's a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland every Friday that I do with Prez. It also gets you access to our our mailbag that we do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. Furthermore, you get access to the Strickland Discord, where you can talk about the Knicks and many other things all the time with other... Patreons. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to this pod right here, Strick and Roll, my solo pod where I yell and rant and rave about the Knicks even more. Uh, more importantly, you get access to weekly articles by the wonderful Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best writers in the business. There's further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits like live watch parties, listening on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast with yours truly. Uh, what? But whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So without further ado, let's get started. Um, look, the playoffs are ongoing. Simon, you are a Uh, a Warriors fan. I I guess we can start with this series, uh, which has become less about basketball and more just about who hurt who and who injured who and all kinds of variety of then the code who broke the code. Saying like broke the
1: code in day-to-day life to people who don't know anything about basketball (laughs) and I think they'll find it hilarious.
0: Um yeah, it's just like I, I don't know. This series is really weird. Um I I thought Golden State would actually win this in 5, which it looks like they probably will. Um I thought the first two games I thought the first two games were awesome by the way. Like that's what actually sucks about the series. The first two games were awesome and none of the discourse after either of those games was about the actual game itself.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean like I I think that obviously what Dylan Brooks did was a degree worse than what Draymond did, maybe several degrees, but at the end of the day, like, even then, I was, like, I thought it was a little heavy-handed where, like, Steve Kerr comes out and, like, the initial broke-the-code usage, right? Like, I'm like, yeah, it was a reckless play, but, like, shit happens, and at the end of the day, Dylan Brooks didn't. Literally break Gary Payton's arm. He like hit a defenseless player in midair when he didn't really have a play on the ball. He hit him pretty hard, and that player then decided, understandably, to brace his fall with his arm, but like also stupidly. And it sucks what happened. And, but like I, I just was never like I this whole this whole back and forth about like who's dirty. Like I don't think anybody in the NBA right now, even Grayson Allen is like actually out to injure anyone the closest i can think of in terms of like intent to injure from this season was when jokic like blindsided morris in the back and knocked him out for months which people seem to like just forget about um but i i, I don't know i'm i'm just not really here for any of that so then when when that discourse starts and then when jaw like played further into it after game 3 with what i thought was the only actual breaking of code which is like accusing an innocent player of trying to injure you when you know yourself that it's not true like doing that in bad faith um is kind of disgusting to me and we'll get into that but like i to your point now now it's all now i'm talking about it but i I also hated all that conversation
0: yeah i mean like i understood why it happened and i mean I'll, i'll say this i actually do think dylan brooks is pretty much a dirty player um he walks that line all the time. Uh, This is probably the most high-profile incident he's been involved in, so obviously it's understandable that it got a lot of attention, but, uh, I mean, if you watch enough of the Grizzlies, that that guy lives on that line, and it's fine to live on that line. I just think he crosses it way too often. I know that people will say, oh, well, Draymond has crossed the line, and Draymond has crossed the line, um, and he's been punished for it, and, you know, it is what it is, but, like, uh, I I would I would suggest that the things that Draymond has done pale in comparison to um, that play on Gary Payton. Second, I thought that was you know look like they were talking about this on TNT before the game, maybe yesterday, I think. But like that's kind of the one thing when you're an NBA player where if you're going up in transition for somebody to come from behind, and and the thing that, about that play that made it ridiculous to me. Was Payton is a lefty, so he's going up with his left. Brooks is coming from the right from behind him, and he—I mean, he—he makes what he would say is a play on the ball, but there's just no chance for him to get the ball there, and he just goes through Payton, the like Gary Payton, and you know. I understand it's the playoffs, and guys are playing hard, and you don't want to give up free baskets, but like I thought that was ridiculous. Um, I thought it was definitely dirty. I had no problem with players on the team um, insinuating as such, as was reported during the game. I, not even insinuating, flat out saying it, I think. Uh, I, I did, like, if you're Steve Kerr, I think... Uh, here, here's other part of it, though, too. Should Steve Kerr have said that? Probably not. Do I think there is some mental mind games being played by saying something like that? And he believes that maybe that can give his team an edge, be it with officiating or whatever. Yeah, I do. I do think that's part of it. Um, And, you know, whether that's right or wrong, that's always been part of the game. You know, like you can go back and look at things Phil Jackson said during playoff series about this whistle or that whistle or his team not getting a fair call. Um, You know, it, it... We, you're a Warriors fan, you you saw Draymond Green get ejected from a series for a game because LeBron did the same thing in a post game press conference, right? Um, so like uh, this is part of the game and it's maybe an unsavory part of it, but what I will say is that I had I didn't particularly think that he was off base, um, and I know like people were like, well, what about Zaza? What about Draymond? It's like, okay, well. If you accept that those guys have made dirty plays, then what's your issue with with this? Like like then you should accept this and and be okay with like with with him insinuating that yes, Dylan Brooks made a dirty play.
1: Yeah, yeah. And also I, I just think along those lines, I found it hilarious then when Taylor Jenkins like made the most half-hearted effort to to do the same thing after the cool jaw play, where it was like Clearly there was pressure from his team for him to, like, ask the league to take a look at it, but he, he didn't really want to. He's like, yeah, I mean, I'll have to talk to the guys and see if they want, like, if they, like basically, like, see if they're serious about this. Um, but he's just been, like, towing the line like that with a lot of his commentary after games in the series. Like, he, he doesn't really have any legitimate gripes, but he feels like he has to defend his team to, like, a base level. Um, which I'm just not yeah, really
0: and I asking. and I, I, I and I also think like to be quite honest, I think it's convenient for him to do that. Um, because I mean, I don't know about you, but and I don't know what Adams' status was for the first three games of the series. Um, but watching that game yesterday, he kind of played Adams out of necessity yesterday to an extent, yeah. and I think it's. It, to me, it looked pretty obvious that not playing him at all was a mistake um, prior to that in the series. I I thought yesterday, he co- I thought he coached a terrible game. and I know people be like, well, Ja was out. Okay, well, Ja was out. Um, I mean, I, I thought like, why Dylan Brooks stayed in the game yesterday, brought back in, actually, in the fourth quarter, was absurd to me. He was terrible throughout the game. Um, yeah, that's one of your guys, but... If you can bench Steven Adams, you can bench Dylan Brooks for a game. It'll be fine. Um I, I thought he coached a really bad game, and I thought I just think he's not really coached very well in the playoffs. You know, like you look at their half-court offense, so much of it is just give it to Ja and have him drive into the paint and hope that he can create something or create chaos and you can capitalize on the glass, you know, kick out whatever it is. I just it's just not real. I've not been impressed with him as a coach. And I do think like, look, like you lost, you lose by 30 points in game three and your go-to is to start blaming Jordan pool for, I don't know. Like, even if you want to call that a dirty play, how on earth am I supposed to believe that Jordan pool touching John ja Morant's calf was like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't even know. I have no clue how you can determine that that caused that injury. Um and, you know, and then yesterday, you know, to say I want to take a look at, I'm curious about what what the league will say. It's like, dude, you lost the game, and it's fine. Like, no one's going to kill you for losing the game yesterday. But just own that. um And you, not, you don't even need to own it. You just need to like, you don't. You just don't say that. That's it. Like, it's I very mean, simple. I mean,
1: Memphis. Like, this series has been so weird, right? Because, like you said, the first two games were really good. I I left. I mean I at the beginning of the series, I thought Warriors win in five, six, or seven. Um after game one, I'm like four, five, or six, because that just felt like that was one of Memphis's wins, the way that it went, the way like some of the poor play from the Warriors, Draymond obviously getting ejected, the foul trouble that the Warriors were in. Like that was a Memphis game, and they completely stole it. Uh And then after game two, obviously four was off the table, but I still thought five or six. And after game three, like that confirmed my belief. It was like, oh yeah, Warriors in five or six. Then Jaws out. Okay. But that game, even though the Warriors are now up three, one and five or six is again, like clearly what seems like will happen. Like that was totally off that script. That was like Memphis should have won. And had they won, I would have no idea where this series was going. Um, And I do think coaching... Yeah, I don't think Taylor Jenkins coached a good game, but I also think Mike Brown... I don't think Kirk... But he coached a terrible game. and, And again, it's not his fault, but it was just that situation made it so the Warriors were not in a position to handle the adjustments that Memphis made, which was playing Adams, which was when they don't have jaw on the floor, they just have more defensive toughness and length and size all over the floor. They can get in passing lanes more. They were handling like navigating all the Warriors movement more to the point where the Warriors kind of stopped cutting because it just seemed to be leading to turnovers. Um, And like, there was just no adjustment ever from the Warriors. And, and that's not so much to say that like Steve Kerr is the one, who's calling all the shots when he is coaching. Like I'm sure their whole staff plays a huge role in identifying things and making adjustments. But I think it's more just to say that like his presence alone is able to like, like he's the one calling plays like from the sideline, like let's run this. Like you you didn't see a lot of that from Mike Brown. He's the one that like gets guys to refocus. I I just, to me, the Warriors came out like shaky, probably because of the changes that like not having Jaw in the lineup create. And by the way, Memphis is a better team this season without John Morant, like significantly. That that like like that doesn't mean they are long term, but like they have had more success, and you can't argue that.
0: Yeah, without- look, I think the Jaw, yeah, the the Jaw discourse has gotten so ridiculous because. He was anointed as a star, um, which I understand. Like aesthetically, when you just watch them play with Ja and without Ja, it is very hard for your brain to process. Like, oh yeah, they're better without him. But we have what they went twenty and five, I believe, in the regular season without him. Way and better than what the record. record is with
1: him. It was like their point differential was like plus yeah. two with him and like plus thirteen without. Him.
0: Yeah, their defense becomes like... I mean, we saw it yesterday. Like, I I didn't... Like, it was one of those things where, like, in my brain, I was like... Because it was Warriors minus 10 was the spread. And in my brain, I was like, well, you know, this makes total sense to play Memphis here. But then you're like, but it's the playoffs, and John's not going to be there, and, like, maybe it's not the right play. And it's like, you know, I mean, look, it's one game, so you can't take... You can't say like, "Well, see, should have known." But the thing is, like, you can see that they didn't have they didn't have a guy to pick on every possession in that game. Like, that was a big problem for them. And I do think like Brown did not exactly do himself any favors with. I didn't love just not playing Kaminga after the first five minutes. That was weird. Um, and I just I don't know. I, I didn't like I didn't like him pulling Otto Porter actually when he did in the fourth. Uh, because he was the one guy that was hitting shots at that point in time. Uh, I don't know what is going on with Clay. It feels like every time he's on the court right now, he's trying to prove that he is a top 75 all-time player. And it's like, buddy, you're not gonna prove that in you know what I mean? Like, it's just that's not how you're gonna prove it anyway. Well, uh well, and he, Pro- he's, like, he's gone
1: back to what he was doing during the season, which was like trying to create off the dribble and take like off balance leaning shots that just like were never the thing is these they were never part of his bag, like pre-injuries. Um mm-hmm. and it doesn't make sense that he thinks they are now. But like it's the the frustrating part of that is that he seemed to get back into like playing within the offense during the Denver series. So I don't know why it's reverted. Uh but yeah, I, I the way the way he's playing, I mean we'll we'll get into it more. I don't I don't mean to cut you off, but like I don't. He has to turn that around if they're going to have a chance, like against Phoenix.
0: Um, yeah. Look, I I didn't. I think the best way to I, I I said this to somebody, but like, I think the best way to think about Clay is that he's never been the most cerebral player, but because he was such an elite shooter, it didn't. Some of his decision bad decision making was. It didn't matter um and obviously right now that margin is different because he's not the same player he was before the injuries at least not yet you know maybe he bounces back in full and we'll see but like right now he's just not and fundamentally you'd look at this team i, I don't care what anybody says Steph is still pretty clearly the best player on the floor to me for them um and then i, I think i mean just talking about offensively like jordan pool has got to be the second guy like he's got to be the second option and I know that's like a very tough thing to manage for Kerr and for all these guys because Clay has equity. Clay's been there since the beginning, right? Like he's one of the Splash Brothers. It's 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 not an easy thing to negotiate. But if they want to win a title this year, they're going to have to have a conversation, and it's going to involve being like Clay. We love you, brother, but like you know, like this is we we can't have you doing this. Like you, you can't. Yeah, be- yeah.
1: Someone needs to be like in his ear like look it's not it's not a matter of like we want to play you less it's literally just like we have to if you keep hijacking possessions because that's that's been an issue in like almost every game of the series so far where like the Warriors have with the exception of game four yesterday like they can get what they want against Memphis's defense Like, they, their movement, their back cutting, like, they, the stuff they're getting at the rim, like, all series, and then finally started just, like, letting develop consistently in game three, which is why they shot, what, 63% from the floor? Like, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that stuff is available, but it's only available if you just accept that it will be available by the end of the possession. If you take the first like semi decent look to to not just purely bad look that you get like you are those those are turnovers and clay has been good for like four or five of those per game um and and I think outside of like whatever he is not able to do that he used to be able to do he's obviously not the same guy defensively he might not even have like the same shot versatility I don't know his shot looks pretty damn good to me when he takes good shots but Like, whatever it is, like, if he just cuts out those shots that he easily can, it's like totally up to him, then he becomes completely playable for as long as, you know, in crunch time, 35 minutes a game, whatever it is, even with the defensive drop off from where he used to be. But like, clearly at this point, he's not going to do that. Like, someone needs to really get in his ear and be like, this is not up to you, like, you are you are not going to play crunch time until you stop doing this shit. Because not only do they have Pool, but they have Wiggins, and Wiggins is not the player that like a one hundred percent Clay Thompson is. But he was essentially in that Clay Thompson role as like the guy guarding the other team's best perimeter player. He's and, also
0: bigger. He's bigger than Clay but, is too. Yeah, he
1: can shoot and yep. like he can do more off the dribble than clay and like he was an all-star this year and 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 that version of wiggins vanished when clay came back and and they just don't need like a diminished clay leading to a diminished wiggins as well like that's just not the best version of this team
0: he's got to play more like a cog and i think that's like tough but it's also just necessary um and i i do wonder if to some extent he kind of like I mean, it's probably not even it might not even be a conscious thing, but you see like Poole has been awesome in this playoffs. He didn't have a great game yesterday, but in the overall he's been obviously awesome. And you see how it's like he can kind of see him coming for your spot. You know what I mean? Like and it's not like Poole's gonna literally take clay Clay's spot, but in the hierarchy, you can that's probably gonna happen within the next year or two years, right? Like it's gonna happen. And That's a tough thing because what you're basically asking Clay, this is a guy who is a star in this league, a multiple All NBA player, I think, multiple time All Star for sure, uh, one of the great shooters in NBA history, a guy who has delivered for you on, you know, in crunch time, in big spots, big situations. Like people are always going to remember Game Six OKC Clay, right? Like that will always be a thing, and you're asking him to be like, look, this is we. Love you for what you were, but like, we need you now to be something else, and that's a really hard transition for a guy who has played at that level to make. Um, he has the game to do it, like, ideally, actually, right? Like, in a lot of ways, he's ideally suited to make that transition, kind of like a, how Ray Allen did. Obviously, Ray Allen, um, oh, he had a lot more on the ball juice as a creator than Clay did at his best, but you know, as he aged out, he just became very much like a movement shooter off the ball, spot-up guy. And I think Clay can make that transition. He just has to buy in. Um, I do want to go back to Memphis, though, because I do think this John Morant thing is interesting. And I, I do wonder, like, it it does feel to me... I don't think they can win this series without him. Like, they just... As great as the defense is, like, they just have no shot creation. Especially if, like, there's just... It's just, like, Jaron Jackson Jr., doing weird floaters and stuff. Um, yeah. and, in, and in crunch
1: time, you really see like the difference. like yesterday you saw like the difference in crunch time is going to be, that's too much to win three straight games without
0: Johnson. Yeah. It's like, you, you, you're not going to, you can't get golden state into that many straight rock fights. You know what I mean? Like you're just not going to, you're not going to do it. They're going to, they're going to bust out and score at some point. Um, but like with, with, Ja, like I, I just wonder like jaw is an interesting player he's obviously very dynamic offensively I actually i feel like his passing is not that great surprisingly I don't know it, it just he it doesn't feel very intuitive it feels always very reactionary um his passing which isn't yeah I mean it's 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 not necessarily a bad thing but it is a thing um and I just like i for them, like you, me, watching the series, like everybody has gone on and on about, oh, how young this team is, and they have all this depth, and they have all these guys, and they're going to be here forever. And it's like the youth is great, and it isn't a non-factor. But at some point, like you are going to, you're not going to pay all these guys, right? Like all these guys are not going to be here. Kyle Anderson's a free agent this off I highly doubt he's back because they have they drafted Zaire Williams for a reason, right? Like Tyus Jones probably will be back. They have a lot of cap space. They can keep him, but he's a backup point guard. It's not like th- that's a main thing, but you look at some of these other pieces like Bain, Clark, you know, Bain is obviously just in his second year, but Clark I think is finishing his third season. Jaron Jackson Jr.'s extension kicks in. Jaws up for an extension this offseason. Um, Like the, the bill is going to come due within the next year. And <clears throat> I-, I think, People need to pump the brakes on, like, they are going to have this 10-year window of competitiveness. Um, you're
1: you're like, saying that Iguadala didn't, didn't leave a dynasty?
0: No, I don't think he left a dynasty. <laughs> um, but, but uh, like, there's, there's this... And, it, like, we've seen this with the Celtics, right? The Celtics, like, four years ago, we all thought this team is going to be amazing forever and they actually look like they have built a contender now again but in between it was not you know it didn't go like that and things never are that smooth very very rarely are they that smooth like even with the warriors right as great as this run has been they didn't make the playoffs for two straight years and yeah some a lot of that's because of injuries and stuff but i'm saying those are things that happen injuries are part of it like they they happen so you can't take for granted what you have now and i think with them like watching this series especially without jaw this really becomes clear i i do think they could i think their wings are pretty meh like i'm not that impressed with them i know B- bane is good but i also don't view him as a wing i feel like he's just like a super jacked combo guard which is
1: yeah, fine yeah he's just a, he's a guard he's a two
0: yeah yeah and it's like their wings other than that it's like dylan brooks who Quite frankly, I think this series this this series might have been a sweep if he had played all four games. Um, yeah. You know, Zaire Williams is a really promising piece, and I've been really impressed by what I've seen from him in these playoffs. But he's like not a sure. F- I mean, he's not even a shot creator or anything like that yet. But you just see like such a need for shot creation on this roster, um, especially from the wings. And I just in general like they could use more quality on the wing. And I just wonder if like. They have so many pieces, right? And like I said, they're not going to pay all these guys. Is this a team that this offseason, you know, do you start cashing in some of these chips to to consolidate and and build out and add a wing? Like, I don't know who it would even be. Um, a player that I've, the team, I, I would actually be really curious about this. I haven't, like, loved what I've seen from Chris Middleton this year, but I know he had a very long season, but then you like watch this Buck Celtic series and it does feel like the ancillary pieces around Giannis just lack talent to a certain degree. Um and I wonder if there's a trade to be made there between those two teams. Because I do think like Memphis having the depth they have gives them the opportunity to maybe pay a little extra to consolidate. Whereas with yeah. Milwaukee, it's like, you need to fill out this roster and get more talent, even if that means you're losing the best player in the deal.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Middleton is, is the that is the specific move, but that type yeah. of move, like, like, if you look at, I think the issue with Memphis's roster is they have guys like D'Anthony Melton, like John Conchar, like Xavier Tillman, who are just, like, not they're too good to be like, they're not that much worse than Kyle Anderson and Dylan Brooks and like whoever the fuck, right? Like, like Brandon Clark, there's just not, there's not enough of like a drop off for that to be, it's not really a roster strength when it comes to the playoffs because it's like, right. Right. Yeah. it's, It's nice to have the option. Like we can go to Xavier Tillman Instead of Brandon Clark, because if we need a little more defense or like a semblance of a floor spacer or something like that's a nice option, but there's still diminishing returns on that. Um, so it's like kind of pick like whoever you want to give up. You give up half of that like what five through eleven group or whatever it is, and and then you like juice your starting five significantly, and and that's the move they have to make because. Jaw is amazing, and it would be silly to say like he can't get better, but there's still a ceiling on him in the sense that he's never going to be like a prime Steph Curry. Uh, in terms of like him alone gives you a championship-level offense. Like, he's never gonna be that type of player. He could improve defensively, that's probably where he has more room to grow because he has the tools to be so much better than he is. But he's still never going to be like he's skinny, and he expends a ton of energy offensively. Um, so I can't see him like he's not even good. He doesn't even have like Devin Booker's defensive ceiling, where, where like Booker has gotten to. I don't think Jaw can even be that good.
0: No, um, Booker's like a legit good defender now.
1: Yeah. So like there, there's just a clear like ceiling on Jaw as this pure number one engine of a title team, and. Well, guys like Bane and Jaren are awesome complementary players. They also just, like, you talked about some of Bane's limitations. Like, Jaren, I, I think Jaren has the the pure talent to just be, like, a perennial all-star. But it's four years in now, and I just don't think it's, like, fully there mentally. I just don't I think he's one of these guys that it's just not there. Um, so, like, if he, if those, if Bane and Jaren are your three and four and jaws like a one A with another with a one B or a one B with a one A, that could be a title core. Uh, if it's if that if those three are your core, I, I don't see it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think there's enough top end talent. I mean, I thought going back a little bit with them, uh, the the Minnesota series. I mean, I thought they should have lost that series. Um, yeah. Not in the sense of like they deserve to lose it, but Minnesota really themselves
1: more than memphis like yes they came back and you can give them credit for playing well when it mattered or whatever but like it was very self inflicting like minnesota changed the way they played without memphis forcing them to change the way they played down the stretch
0: yeah and i think like when i'm looking at teams around the league and just like i mean specifically in the west for the for this matter like Look, I have all kinds of questions about Carl Anthony Towns. I'm still not sold on him as being a guy that can anchor your team well enough, you know, to to be a true contender or whatever. But like, as a pure talent, I mean, and just honestly as a player right now, I think he's more impactful, especially when you get into a playoff setting, than Jaron Jackson Jr. is. Um, and I think that Anthony Edwards, in time, he's going to be a more Impactful player than anybody on both these teams, um, and like and and even with and I'm say and I say this with the caveat that like even with that, I'm not sure Minnesota has a they're they're not going to be a dynasty like they're not they're not some clear path to contenders, um, but like I don't think the talent like as good as Memphis's talent is, your top end guys matter more than anything, and. The depth they have matters a lot in the regular season, and it can matter a lot in a first round series against a, a young, kind of inexperienced team to a large degree in Minnesota. Um, but when you're playing a team like Golden State, those margins and not having guys that you can just like, like Steve Kerr can basically up the performance level of his team by just dialing up minutes for Steph Curry, right? Like, and Jordan Poole, and the past version of Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. Like, that's all he has to do. doesn't need to be some widespread adjustment. It's just like, well, I'll just play those guys more minutes. I Like, other than Ja, and even with Ja right now, at this point in time, right today, I don't know how much that drastically improves your baseline, given, like, some of the defensive issues he has. But aside from Ja, like, is there a guy you would look at on Memphis and just be like, well, if we just play him more, that's it. Like, you know, it, it just... They don't have that type of talent. And I mean, um, Jaron's
1: the only guy that's good enough, but the reason they don't play him more is because he can't stay on the floor. like
0: Right, exactly. He just constantly fouls. And so I, I just do, yeah, like they're, they're a team that's so prime for a consolidation move. Um, and I think it's interesting because, like, they're much better, in my opinion. Like, the guys they have, the talent they have, the depth they have is much better than a team like Atlanta was last year. Uh, You know, Atlanta made their run to the Eastern Conference Finals. They got very lucky in that Philadelphia series because Ben Simmons just decided to be terrible. And they won, like, every game they won was a close game, and every one they lost was a blowout. And I think they came back from 20, like, twice in that series or something. It was something crazy. Um, And also Doc Rivers. Uh, But, like, the point is Atlanta's a team that last year after the season was over, everybody was like, oh my god, they have so much depth. They, Whenever a star comes around, they can consolidate. They're just going to run this back, and all these guys are going to get better. And that's just not how it works because they tried running it back, and what happened? Cam didn't like his role. He wanted out because he knows that at some point soon he's going to have to play for a contract. So he's gone. Okay, DeAndre Hunter's hurt up and down all year. Doesn't really progress. Kevin Herter is Kevin Herter. He's Fine. Uh, you know, like Okongwu is a backup center right now behind Capella. Capella looked like a shell of himself for half the season. It's just like, all of a sudden, this amazing depth and all of these pieces that you have to consolidate, they look different. And now it's not so easy to consolidate. And now your pieces aren't as appealing. And maybe it's not going to be easy to consolidate for a star. Um, and I just think, like, they're a good team to look at in terms of... And, and I I've tried to, like... One thing I'm trying to be more conscious of is, and I like actually annoyingly, uh, the Celtics team is an example of this. Is like when you have these young guys that are super talented, your path to like creating a contending roster isn't, it it very rarely is actually shut off. You might have to be creative. You might have to take some risks. You might have to make moves that, you know, aren't clear cut, but there's ways to do it. Right, Boston has shown like, look they they punted on Kemba on a first. They brought back Horford. Horford has a lot more in the tank than a lot of people thought. Um, the Derek White trade was good. Smart has taken somewhat of a leap as a half court just initiator playmaker. Tatum and Brown have both made leaps. All of a sudden, okay, now they're a contender. Like, wow, okay, yeah, and the drafted
1: um, Williams dudes like,
0: right, which right, is right. Just
1: like- such an added layer to what they already were building but yeah
0: right so like i look i don't think atlanta's door is shut but like they're an example of like how things can change so quickly and how these guys that you love right now and that the league loves right now like that is it's the hardest time to do it but it also is so often the best time to do it the best time to cash in and i think the knicks are in a situation where they need to make some consolidation moves um that are probably, they're not as difficult to make because I don't think they're going to have a move for a star in them this offseason, and that's fine. I, I'm i not sure that that matters. But, like, with Memphis, if you look at Atlanta, and it's a good parallel in the sense of, like, Trey and John and all that kind of stuff, like, you know, last year everybody was praising Trey after the playoffs, right? And this year, like, he got shit on because he got, punked by Miami, by a flat-out better team. And a lot of that, in my opinion, is unfair, because I think that, quite frankly, Miami was able to just key in on him, because they didn't give a shit about anybody else on that team. They didn't care. Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, what are we what are we saying about Ja if, Min- if Minnesota doesn't choke away a lot of those games? Because his first-round series was bad. Like, he did he not bad. shoot well from and, the floor.
1: And even yeah. his performance here against the Warriors, like, the numbers are, have been pretty amazing in his three games that he's played, but the Warriors are almost taking the inverse approach of what Miami took, where, like, Miami just keyed in on Trey, like you said. And the Warriors are more just like, we're going to key in on everyone else. And, like, we're going to keep Ja out of his, like, most preferable places on the floor. But at the end of the day, we're not going to really double. Um... And we're just gonna like, like even in the game where he had forty seven, I feel like they had an offensive rating of like one hundred five, one hundred six. Like mm-hmm. that—that's been the game plan. So it- it's kind of the inverse of that, where like people will leave this series thinking much more highly of Jaw than of Trey. But it's it's just the same, like the other side of the same coin, there, right? Like I-, I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's just it's like. Like, all the perception of these guys changes so much, so fast in this league. Right. Um, and, like, do I think, like, I, I, I I'll say this, like, I would still take Trey Young over John Moran. Like, yeah if no, you. This, this is the same. I,
1: this is a conversation I've been having with people, and uh, people think I'm crazy for that. Like, I, I, I don't care what, like, Atlanta's record was this year compared to Memphis's. Like, Trey has shown me just as much. Like, this early in a player's career. I just want to see, like, what have you shown me so far? Trey has shown me just as much as Ja has. It was it was last year for Trey. But, like, he like there's there's really no argument you can make that, like, except for Memphis having a better record this regular season, which, again, we've talked about, like, a lot of that happened with Ja Moran off the floor. Um, but I'm just going to look at what can you do. And, like, Trey Young is a dude who can... Like, create more problems for a defense based on his shooting and his passing. Like, he's just significantly better in both those areas.
0: The NBA playoffs means next-level basketball. Get in on the first-round action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. All DraftKings sportsbook customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, each day of the first round get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your same game same game parlay doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of playoffs and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. And I, I think he also has a skill set where they haven't successfully utilized it but like he can leverage his skills off ball to provide value and utility in a way that jaw just cannot jaw is not like going to be some dynamic off screen shooter catch and shoot guy like that's just never going to be in him and trey like trey has to like some of that is on trey himself you know like he's got to be more active off ball he like all those things are true and and but, like, as a passer, I don't think it's close. I think Trey is in a totally different, you know, category of playmaker, passer than Jai is. Uh As a scorer, you know, I have no idea what the efficiency numbers are. I would venture to guess Trey was more efficient. Um, and I, like, I, for me personally, I would rather have the pull-up shooter guard than the guy who just has to attack the paint over and over and over again for a variety of reasons. Um, yeah. And, 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 and then like, like yeah and, and then and they're both terrible defenders so like yeah. you know what I mean it's like, a, it's like it's not that's nearly a, like
1: really as big a gap defensively as people would would like to think
0: uh, I, I don't think there's a gap at all I really yeah. don't like I, I I know that Trey is more capable or no, sorry not Trey jaw is more capable of like the occasional um highlight play the highlight yeah. defensive play but like you look at how teams attack him attack. It's the same shit, you know, like it's the same thing and it's easier to get away with it to cover up for those guys in the playoffs because, because quite frankly, the refs allow more physicality. Um, so you can grab and pull and do these things to a higher level than you can in the regular season to cover for them. Um, but like they both suck on defense. Uh, so that, that just doesn't really matter to me at all. It's all about the offense for those guys. And, and I, I mean, I have questions about Trey, too, as far as, like, if he's this bad on defense, how can you build a competitive team around him? Like, how a, a real, true contender. How how hard is that going to be to do? But, like... He, can we use... No, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I, all I was going to say is, like, it's just... But, like, he's such an incredible offensive talent. And even Jai's, to an extent, even though I, I really think he's... I think Ja is super overrated in terms of, like, is he good? Yeah, he's obviously good. Is he the guy that so many people seem to think he is? Like, I mean, future MVP and all that stuff? Like, I just don't see that. I'm sorry. Um, Yeah. But, but like, the point is, like, these guys are such offensive talents that even if I am concerned about, like, the viability of building a contender around them, you can't punt on that yet. You know, you can't be like, "Well, we can't do it, so let's trade him and move on." Like it's, you have to just try to figure it out for a much longer period of time. And like both these teams have had a level of success where it's not like there's no hope. You know what I mean? Like Atlanta did make it to an e- uh, Eastern Conference Finals. They did take the Bucks six games, right? Like that's not like some bullshit achievement. Um, Memphis yeah, like, is Memphis
1: could be like a move away from being closer to the level that at their best they look like they're on, right? Like it has to be a significant move, but like like the like this Chris Middleton type of trade that we're talking about, right? Like or whatever, if it's fucking Donovan Mitchell going to Atlanta, whatever it is, like like these teams could be getting another all-star player who fits away from like okay, now the Hawks are a legitimate conference finals team. Now the Grizzlies are a legitimate 2 seed. Like they're not they're not necessarily far, but like they're they're far in the sense that it's not just going to happen organically. Um or it might not. Uh, yeah, I like, was so like, th- yeah, all, two-
0: all, all I was gonna say is that like sometimes you have to like push the envelope. Like you've right. got it, like like the Warriors did, I mean one of the big moves they made, right? That that kind of like took them to another level was trading for Igadala. And at the time, like in hindsight, it's funny because in hindsight, people are like, well, obviously, like, you do that trade. But, like, at the time, people were like, damn, I don't know, two firsts. I think Iguodala was, like, 30 or something at the time. And he was like, well, it, is this really, like, are the Warriors close enough? Is this really a guy that's going to help take them over the top? Like, it's not always clear. You know, like, I mean, I just said Boston is another one this year. Like, all the moves I made, I, was, I actually was like, it's weird because while I thought their window was kind of, like, I thought Ainge had just completely screwed them over um, in terms of title cont- uh, windows, but like, I actually kind of liked what they did in the offseason, and I was higher on them than most people. But I didn't see this. You know, I didn't think they would get to this level, and so like, that's what I'm, that's what I mean. Is like sometimes you you make a move that maybe maybe even internally you think the upside is just like, yeah, it's probably just gonna make us like a second round exit or something like that, right? But but sometimes it's worth it to do that just to just to like push your team forward and maybe you get surprised because like I promise you there's no chance in hell the Celtics thought Al Horford was gonna be this good when they made that trade. There's no way. Like there's just no way they thought that. And hey, credit to them though, like they're getting the benefits of that now. So I think at times, like for a team like Atlanta or Memphis or even the Knicks, like you know, like Jalen Brunson's been a player that a lot of Knicks fans have talked about for a while. And, like, me personally, I do think that he's, like, he helps you take the next step. Um, Like, he definitely improves the Knicks, in my opinion. But, like, I understand concerns of, does he make them good enough that you feel comfortable kind of capping what Quickly's minutes would be and his role would be? Um, And, like, is there a world where Quickly has a higher ceiling and what he does? And, like, I I do think there is that rule. Like, I'm really high on quickly i know that you've actually been pretty high on him like i'm really high on quickly i think he could be a super super like pretty close to something like a fred van vliet level impact player um like but at the same time i think if you can get jalen brunson like you, you're not gonna give up much to do it you should do that like you should definitely do that if you're the next in my opinion
1: yeah yeah sometimes it's i mean we didn't even mention like I think the best example of what you're talking about is the Suns getting Chris Paul. Like, right. yep. that that was a move that was... Even I was not, like... Sorry about the the sirens. Um, Like, even I was not 100% sold on that. I might not have even been 50% sold on that. You were a lot higher on that move, I remember. Yeah, but it, I love was that. Like, right. it was just, like... It was just, like, my thing at the time was, like, I don't know how real this Bubble Suns shit is. Like, they were at the end of the day, like not a good team this past year. And now they're giving up like, you know what? I I think it was just one first, but they're giving up stuff to get a guy who by the time they're ready to contend is, is going to be too old. And, and like Chris, but, but like, obviously I was so wrong. Um, but that's just the, the example of like, sometimes you just like are a move away when you don't even realize you're a move away. Um, what what I was going to say though is like I feel like there's two places we can go. I mean we 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 talked about like getting into some of the and, and we we can skip this if you want, but just like Memphis Mania and how obnoxious some of that shit is. That's but then the the other the other place is like th- this idea of what works and like what leads to actual contention. Um is something I really want to get into and I, I feel yeah. like we can from here so like i i just think well, that i
0: think i i think if you look at the east the east is more interesting to me because i look at these western conference teams and like i'm not really surprised that any of them are in the final four i guess i could say memphis before the season i was a little bit down on them but like within the first 20 games i was like okay i was totally wrong they're really good um but like you know it's it's them it's And I just don't like, I don't, they don't excite me because I kind of just like know what they are and I understand their roster constructions and what they do. I think there are valuable lessons to be learned from them, especially Golden State, which we can come back to. But if you look at the East, I think the East is so interesting because like you have Miami, who, yes, they have Jimmy Butler and yes, he's playing like a superstar. I don't think they're like a star power team right now as they're currently constituted, but they have all of these different pieces and then they have a great coach who kind of like, picks the right guys and in right matchups and figures it out. Right. And then you have Philly who is like very much star power, right? It's like Embiid, they trade for Harden. Maxi is the other, like another guy. Um, Harris obviously is there. And then you have Boston, which is like really interesting how they've built this team out where it's just like all these super strong switchable dudes on defense Like, across the board, right? Like, all of them are just, like, super strong, switchable dudes. Um, And then you have Milwaukee, which is, like... I mean, I, I gotta say this. Like, I thought it was really funny last year when there was that entire, like... There was, like, this weird kind of conversation after the Bucks won where it was like, oh, well, you know, this is a super team, too. And it just, like... I don't know what you guys think Drew Holiday is. Like, awesome defensive player, but just never... Just a really bad second or third option as a scorer in the playoffs. You can get by with it if Giannis goes God mode, but, like, we're seeing that now in this series with Middleton out, especially, like, what his limitations are when he's asked to do more. Um, and Middleton's obviously really, really nice, but, like, that's a super team. You know, it's a bit much. But, like, they have... I mean, Milwaukee, for all intents and purposes, they're all in. Like, they... That move they made for Drew was, like, that was their big move. And... um you know you just look around though like i'll just say this and i want to get your thoughts on this looking around at each playoff series the thing that stands out the most to me and i don't know if i'm like overreacting to it this year or if it's palpably different but like the the requisite energy effort and athleticism that's required to play at the pace these games are happening and not just i'm not even talking about like the totality of possessions but the rotations you have to make on defense you know you know cutting off a drive recovering out to the weak side shooter making another rotation like it's it is crazy to me the level of like what you need as a team and i just feel like athleticism in particular is i mean it's always been important obviously in the nba but like it feels like it's even taking on more heightened importance Um, to me when I'm watching these playoff games and it's kind of like a reason why I've completely turned around my idea of Kaminga. It happened I mean it also helps that Kaminga has like been a lot better than I anticipated off the bat but like that dude the way he's built is the type of player that you are going to need multiples of um, to compete as we move forward into the future of the NBA.